Hi, everybody. How you doing? Everybody all right? Let's just give a big hello to our Mountain family at all of our campuses, because we meet in all these different locations at Edgewood, Bel Air, Abingdon, Mountain Road, online. Just say, hey, everybody. Glad you're with us. Welcome. My name is Ben. Um, hey, before we get started, let me just remind you, I want to put my two cents in. Next week, we start this At The Movies series. I'm super excited about it, especially because next week, we're going to use a film. It's one of my favorites, and it also is just such a great way to teach some really cool uh, truths from the Bible. And so I hope, to be, I, I hope you'll do some thinking this week about someone maybe who just really needs the Lord in their life. As someone who could use an uplift from encouraging scripture and in a real creative way as we do it at the movies. And just go out of your way to reach out to them, invite them, get them here next week. I think you'll both be really glad that happened. And uh, remind you also, because of copyright laws, we can't post these online. We can't do online. Uh, we can't show them anywhere. So if you want to see it, you got to be here. So I hope you will. That's next week. This week, we're in week three of this thing we're calling the, the 100 uh, series. And uh, it's kind of taken from this emoji, right, that you see uh, on social media. It just means you know, 100%. You've got to keep it real. Got to, like, I'm, I'm there for it. Absolutely uh, means a lot of different things, but we're talking about our desire to keep it real with God, like go in 100% with God. And you can't do that if you're also at the same time saying, you know what, there's whole areas of my life, God, I'm going to keep you out of. All right? This is what Jesus is getting at when he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, keep it 100%. We got to come to the God and trust Him with everything you've got. And you know what? There, there's no better way to keep it real with God and go 100% than when you invite Him into areas of your life that you'd rather keep private or to yourself. And there's a lot of those areas for a lot of us, but there's probably no area we'd rather keep private and keep everyone, including God, out of than our money and our finances. Because that's just, it's a touchy subject. It's a hard subject. A lot of us feel kind of insecure as we talk about it. Uh, A lot of us feel kind of inferior, like maybe we don't handle our money very well. We get a little concerned. We worry about money. We fight about money. It's, It's a sore subject. And can I remind you what Proverbs 27 teaches us in the Bible? It says, be sure to know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. In other words, do you know what's going on with your money? What's the plan? Do, are you managing the finances? Are you watching this stuff closely? And I want to help you do that today because some of us didn't get this help from our parents. We didn't learn it in school. And uh, we want to talk about what the Bible really says about this. Sometimes it's really smart to stop and ask for directions. That's why I love cell phones, guys. Can I get an amen? Because you, you can just kind of nonchalantly at a stoplight just kind of look like you're checking a text and really you're finding directions so you don't have to ask for directions, but sometimes it's smart to ask for directions, as humbling as that may be, and this is true when it comes to handling our money. Um, The Bible says in Proverbs 12, the way of a fool seems right to him. Like, I'm going on this path whether it's good or not. Seems right to me. But a wise man listens to advice. And I hope you'll listen to godly wisdom and counsel from Scripture in this area of our lives. I, th- I think that Billy Graham is, is right when he says, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, 
it will help him straighten out almost every other area of his life. And I've just found this to be true in my life. When I get this part in place, I'm just more disciplined in other areas of my life. Uh, we have you know, more clear priorities, what, what we're trying to do. We've, we fight less in our family. We're just clear. We have more joy, more peace, and all of that. But here, here's why I'm excited about talking about this today. Not only because I know it's already happening, it'll happen as a result of today, that it will really help the financial sort of peace of a lot of you, I'm excited because of the spiritual growth that comes whenever we talk about this. Because I'm telling you, there's a spiritual connection between this area of your life and your relationship with God. In fact, I'll say it in the negative. The reason some of you are not moving forward, you're not taking steps in your relationship with God, is that you have to this point kind of refused to trust God in this area of managing money. And, and I just I know some of that's going to change and break loose today. And uh, we're going to keep it 100. So I'm going to help give a plan and some guidance and some godly wisdom from the Bible because everybody needs a plan. Reminds me of this guy named Dan. Dan lived at home uh, with his father working in the family business. And he finds out that his, he's going to inherit a fortune when his sickly father dies. So he decides, he says to himself, well, I've got to find myself a wife to share all my money with, right? So he, one evening, he's at this investment dinner. And he spots the most beautiful girl in the world. He's never seen a woman so beautiful to take his breath away. So he confidently walks right up to her and he says to her, I may not look like much, but in just a few years, my sickly father is going to die. And I'm going to be worth $500 million. And she seems very impressed by this. And she asked for his business card. And three months later, she became his stepmother. <laughs> so... Now, there's a woman with a plan, okay? I'm telling you. Everybody needs to have a plan, all right? I don't know what your plan is. <laughs> I, last week, I shared a very simple plan. It's a little different than that one. Uh, a very simple plan. It's biblical, it's effective, and it works. We call it the 100 plan, right? The 100 plan. And this has saved my bacon, and Carl and I have used this thing for our whole married life, and I'm so encouraged by this, and wanna, I know it's going to be helpful to many of you. Whether It works whether you get $5 a week of allowance or you inherit $500 million uh, from an estate, the 100 plan. You could also call it the 10 plus 10 plus 80 plan, all right, which equals 100, by the way, or you could also call it the tithe, save, spend plan, tithe, save, spend plan. And simply put, the first 10 stands for the tithe is 10% of your income, what the Bible calls first fruits, where in other words, you take off the top some of what God has placed into your possession and you honor God first with it. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord your wealth. It's a relational thing. It's not an obligation, a duty. It's a, it's a relational. You honor God, how? With the first fruits of your crops off the top. And then there's a sequence that matters here. You start here and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. There's a blessing that kicks in afterwards. So you put the Lord first because sequence reveals your priorities. So you honor God by returning to God 10% to the local church that you're a part of and connected and advancing God's ministry through, that's what it works. And so what, what, what this does is it reminds us that every time you get some money in your hand, every time you get paid or you come into some gift or whatever, you face a test. And the test is who are you going to thank first? Who are you going to honor first? Who are you going to acknowledge? Who are you going to pay? And instead of 
thanking Visa first or acknowledging Amazon first or honoring the mortgage company first. We love God and honor God first because Visa can't bless your life and Amazon can't bless your finances and the mortgage company doesn't care about you and can't bless you, but God can. Deuteronomy 14 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God what? First, that's it, right off the top. So I just love what I see happening in our church. It's a very cool movement of God that's happening. I've I've been very encouraged to hear from so many of you who are like, you know, some of you are like real excited and jumping in. Some of you are like real scared and like, I don't know how this is going to work. But but let me just say, I'm just confident and excited and hopeful because I know God's at work. And uh, you're going to discover that 90% under God's plan is better and will go further and provide more blessings somehow than 100% on your own. And I've just seen it over and over again. So I'm excited. Way to go, those of you who have invited God into your finances and uh, you're getting first things first. Can I just remind us? Never to be legalistic about this tithe thing, like it's some magic charm, like if you do it, then God owes you uh, something, you know, you know, no, no, no. But, but I will say this, it is a test for you, and it does indicate what's truly first in your life. It just absolutely does, like it or not. And God also invites you to test him. It's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me in this tithe thing, and I'll show you what I can do through it, and I'll pour out blessing on you. So, you know, I've learned that there are basically, there are kind of three different kinds of income levels that I think struggle with the tithe concept or have it, find it a challenge. And that is, first of all, the lower income people sometimes have a, a kind of challenge with this. Oh, by the way, it's also middle income people sometimes find a challenge with this. I've also found that high income people struggle sometimes with this. But other than that, pretty much it's easy um, at, at first. But it's a matter of trust, isn't it? I want to say something for just a moment to those of you who are affluent. Mountain's a very diverse church. We have a lot of diversity in a lot of ways, including socioeconomically. But there are some people who are very uh, affluent in, in this church, and um, you're wealthy, you've worked hard, you've managed it carefully. And most of us, as soon as you hear that, you think, well, that's not me. But by global standards, it's probably all of us. But I mean, even by American standards, some of you would be, would be wealthy. And I would want to remind you today of, of the words of Jesus when he said, to whom much is given, much is required. Because your responsibility is greater. To whom much is given, much is required. You have a greater responsibility. You have a tremendous responsibility. And I can't urge you strongly enough to be super spiritually strategic with the much that God has given you. If God's blessed you with affluence, you of all people should be the first one running to your accountant or running to your bank account and figuring out, you know, how God, you just say, of all the people in the world, you have blessed me with a very small percentage of the people in the world with this kind of wealth to steward, and I want to be strategic with everything you've put into my hands. And I just hope it'll really hit home for you the truth of those words, to whom much is given, much is required, and you'll be hit with how much um, the size of God's gift to you is, and that that will move you to trust him. I want that spirit to grow in me, and I trust you want it to grow in you. So if you're just joining us... um, or you've been thinking about it for the last week, since last week, I just want to throw it out there again. I'm going to give you um, the opportunity to say yes to God's dare when he says, test me in this, and I'll throw out the 100-day tithing challenge. If you've never done this or you haven't, you're not doing it now, here it is. 
It's about 100 days between now and the end of the year. And I'm just saying, try God on this. Test God. See if his word is true. See if, what he, see if he'll come through. See if he's trustworthy. And if it'll help you, you can sign up. But just by saying, I want to I try the tithe challenge, text that word to that number, and uh, I'll just send you an encouraging email. That's it. And uh, you can, we'll help follow you. Now, if you're worried about this, like you think it's some scam, you don't trust that this is about what God wants for you, and you think it's about what someone wants from you, then, then I would just say, tithe to some other church if that'll help you do that. I'd rather have you do that for 100 days than be here and not trust God or think there's some ulterior motive, okay? Because I, I just, this is so important. And I'll also say this, repeat the offer from last week. If you go all in with this, you open your heart to God, and you do your best with this and try to tithe for 100 days, and you believe afterwards it was a mistake, and you regret it, and you feel like, you know what, I didn't experience any kind of blessing in my life, then as long as it's a recorded gift, you just let us know if you want to, and we'll give you every penny back or write you a check for the whole thing, okay? That's how sure I am about what God's Word says and how eager I am for you to try it. I'll do anything. I'll dare you. I'll shame you. Whatever I have to do, try it and just see what God will do, okay? So that's the first 10, tithe. The second 10 is save 10%, and this is where we pay ourselves for later, we put something aside, and it's just wise to do that to create some margin. We'll come back to that. The final 80 is 80% that you live on. That's the rest, everything else. It's mortgage, taxes, and insurance. It's also groceries, vacation, lattes, underwear, batteries, and chapstick, everything else, okay? Comes out of there. And remember now, this is still God's money, but he's, he allows you to be a steward of it. So it doesn't mean you go get to spend it on evil stuff. You get to, like, I, I think of um, Colossians 3, which says... Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, we could change the translation to read, spend it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we do, we do under the banner of God. Every dime ought to be spent to honor God. So that's the 10-10-80 plan. And as we talked about last week, it kind of demonstrated this. If you get paid in $5 bills like I do, and you get 10 of them, you know what most of us do is right here, right? just because there's so many expenses and so many things that we need and want and every dime goes in here. And the concept of having something left over to save is like a nice idea, but that ain't happening. And the idea of having stuff to give would be great, and I like the concept again, but it's just like that's for other, other people with more money than I have. And, and, and what we're saying is God's plan starts here. Sequence matters. You start with God right off the top. We'll give God that one because it stands up. And then you save 10% off the top, first fruits, honor God, that matters. We're going to learn to put something away. And then with the rest, you're going you're to pay that cable bill, and you're going to send your kid to school, and you're going to buy new shoes, and you're going to give Ben a nice big gift card, and you're going to do all kinds of things. But the rest goes in here. See, then you, you do the rest, the rest you want. But this is the plan, 10, 10, 80. And what it does is it helps establish God first, and then he can bless the rest. Because Jesus actually says in Matthew 6, 21, he says... If you don't put me first in finances, you're not putting me first at all. So let's circle back now to this bucket, to this container, because save is so, so important. How many of you would say, show of hands, how many would say, I've never heard this before. I've never heard the concept that it's a good idea to save money. I've never been told I should put something aside. I've never heard that. Hands up high. Let's see. Don't see any. Don't see any hands because we all know this. We know we should, but the reality is very few of us make it a priority really in our lives or have figured out how to be good at it or have been convinced that it's important enough. 
And I want to change that today if I can. You know, a recent study by Money Magazine said even one in three Americans have saved zero for retirement. That's kind of scary. Listen, if you're a young person, you're in middle school, high school, or 20s and 30s, tune in because I can change your life today with these basic concepts because if you get this concept set early, I'm telling you, you won't be in the sad situation that your parents and your uncles and aunts are in, okay, who have refused to sort of get this down as well as we know that we could or should. The Bible says it's wise to save because you can't control the future. Don't presume on the future. It's wise to do so. It's foolish not to be prepared for the unexpected. We recently saw uh, this kind of play out in a physical way, didn't we? Um, Not too long ago, we saw... Down in the uh, Atlantic Ocean, uh, low-pressure systems start to build, right? And then another low-pressure system coming in, and it started colliding, and it started getting this funky weather going. And then the warm water, and then the air starts swirling up off that 80-degree ocean water, and that creates a big thing. And before long, you've got something called Hurricane Florence, right? And it's this huge, massive storm, and eventually hits land. And when it does, it makes so much destruction, homes and bridges and buildings and, and, and life, human life. Uh, you, you remember what that, that hurricane looked like. And, and that storm is something that's just huge and powerful and potent when it finally hits, hits ground. And, and while in Maryland, we kind of dodged a lot of that storm, There's another kind of storm that brews and eventually gathers steam and hits that every single one of us will face, and I'm talking about a financial storm. Everybody either is facing one right now, or you have, or you will, but everyone gets hit as stuff kind of just, everything just kind of comes together. I mean, the conditions are just right, or you might say just wrong. A storm hits, and sometimes it's, it's short-term emergencies, just kind of minor storms, and things are, are, are sad and hard, but they're not super destructive. But we have these things, and the reason is because of the second law of thermodynamics. Remember the second law of thermodynamics? It just says stuff falls apart. <laughs> Everything rots and gets old and breaks down, right? And we act so shocked, isn't it? It's like, I can't believe it. How'd that happen? You know, we get so shocked. A couple weeks ago, I was... Um, driving in in my car down to Easton. I was speaking down there, and I had everything mapped out down to the minute. You know, I'm driving in rush hour. It's one of those really hot days. I'm heading down 97 south toward the uh, Annapolis, uh, the Bay Bridge. And all of a sudden, I hear that sound you never want to hear when you're driving. Pop, 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 pop. It's like, boom, boom, boom. It's like, crud, flat tire. So I'm in the left lane. I work all the way over to the right lane, you know, and I, I... called my insurance company, who shall remain unnamed because they claim to have roadside assistance. Well, 30 minutes later, I gave up on that. And so because I'm a man's man, I got out of the car and I changed the doggone tire myself. Huh? Yeah. That's what I am, a man's man. So yeah, I put the little donut on there and I'm sweating like a doggone pig. And I actually took a picture just so you could appreciate the fact that it was 98 degrees that day sweating. I wasn't planning on that. It was unexpected, and nor was I planning on having to replace that tire instead of plug it, because I didn't get over fast enough, apparently. And when they got it up on the lift, they found three other things that needed to be replaced. This is how life is, right? It's like, I wasn't expecting that. And yet we seem so shocked. It's like, I don't understand. I paid, I paid 100 bucks for this refrigerator at a garage sale 20 years ago, and I don't know why it's not cooling anymore. It's like, I don't get it. So we can't be shocked. And sometimes it's not just small storms. It's sometimes big cataclysmic, like Florence-like storms, right? Do I need to remind anyone about 2008? Okay, 2008 was a big storm. 
Now, it wasn't that long ago. The real estate market tanked. The housing market slump was the worst since the Great Depression. People owed more than their houses were worth, and there were foreclosures all over the place. And at the same time, the stock market storm hit, and a lot of people said their 401k turned to a 201k, you know. That was a joke. You don't get that. You guys aren't. It's like right over your heads, whatever. And at the same time, there's another low-pressure system, and uh, that was the banking crisis. And none of us understood what any of that was about, but we knew that a lot of people ended up losing their jobs, and the stock market wasn't doing well. And there was this one guy, he lost a bundle, and his buddy came up to him and said, how you doing, man? Are you sleeping at night? He says, oh, man, I'm sleeping like a baby. He says, really? You're sleeping all through the night? He says, no, no, no. I wake up every two hours and cry. So, yeah, I mean, that's what that was like. That's what a storm does. And all of us are going to face storms, small and or large, at different times. And we need a plan because when you, have, when you follow a biblical plan, you can have peace. Okay? When they say the storm's coming and you board up your house and you get out of town, you can have peace because you followed a plan. I want to show you how that plan works when it comes to saving. There's a great example of that in the Bible in Genesis chapter 41. If you want to open your Bible there, it tells about a guy named Joseph. Everybody say Joseph. That's a great name. It's my brother's name. Joseph, you maybe heard of him. He's the guy with the amazing coat of Technicolor. He was daddy's favorite boy. He had a bunch of brothers, and uh, he was the favorite son at Christmas time. Uh, he got uh, Beats headphones, and they got, like, crayons from the dollar store, so they weren't happy. And they took him, and they threw him in a well outside of town to die, and they went home and told their dad, oh, sorry, he's dead. Oops. And then to the providence of God, he was eventually uh, pulled out of there and sold into slavery. Ends up over in Egypt, where King Pharaoh, meanwhile, is having some terrible dreams that he can't figure out. And uh, he asked his magicians and his wise men, I need help figuring that out. I know God's trying to tell me something through my dream. I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm dreaming of, of seven skinny grains growing up, and, and then they're swallowing up the fat grains. And then I had another dream where I had seven skinny little scrawny cows eat up big fat cows, seven of them, and I don't know what it means. And he said, well, we know a guy who can, who can tell you exactly what that means. He's never wrong. His name's Joseph. He's like, get him. So the next thing you know, Joseph is there. He tells him in the dream. And Joseph says, well, God is trying to tell you something. And here's what it is. He's trying to tell you that there's going to be seven years of financial good times all over Egypt. And then look out, because there's going to be seven more years right after that of terrible famine and lean times. And Pharaoh says, I better do something. Get ready. I'm going to put you in charge. And now Joseph becomes second in command over all of Egypt. And he administers a plan to prepare for the coming economic storm. Look at what he does. Verse 47 of Genesis 41. Sure enough, for the next seven years, there were bumper crops everywhere. Good times. And during those years, Joseph took a portion of all the crops that had grown in Egypt and he stored them for the government in nearby cities. And after seven years, the granaries were filled to overflowing. There was so much grain like sand on the seashore that the people could not keep track of the amount. So they had financial good times and during that time, he prepared, he saved. And this is the biblical principle. We all wish and want to do that. And, and I'm just saying, folks, just to be blunt... 
None of us feel like we have enough, but these are economically pretty good times. I mean, unemployment is at record low levels. There's more open jobs than there are people looking for jobs. The real estate market is generally trending in the right direction. The economy is solid. The stock market is setting records all the time. And most of us have some income. And some of us have more than we used to. But instead of using it to increase our reserves for a rainy day or a bad Florence type of storm, the vast majority of Americans and many, many of us are just buying more, charging more, spending more, financing more, and saving less. And the scriptures have a very indicting commentary on this kind of behavior. Proverbs 20 says it this way. The wise man, what? Saves. Wise and saves are a pair. But the foolish man spends. Foolish and spends go together. I was like that for so many years in my young days. I got a dollar. It burned a hole in my pocket. I had to get it out of my hand. And that was foolish. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening to most people. So if we kind of graft this for the visual people, this is time here. And here's our income level. And for many people, what happens is, I know it's not true for everyone, but generally, income tends to increase. I mean, some of you are like, man, I'm flatlining or it's declined or I've lost my job, and I get that. But overall, for the most part, what most people find is that income tends to increase. And you would think then, well, the good news is, as that increases, then you'll have more that you can save, right? Because your income went up. Guess what Americans do? This is the spending line right here. The spending line follows right along with it. In other words, we spend everything we get, and we spend more than we get. And the Bible says that's kind of foolish. Yeah. So here's a crazy concept. This is going to be very complex. I know some of you won't get it because it's very, very complex, but I'll, I'll do my best. What the Bible is telling us here is that as your income increases, if you're able to put your spending here, you create something here called margin. See, there's a gap there. I know I lost some of you. It's tricky but it's what the Bible teaches. And that's what Joseph did. He created margin. And sure enough, storms came. Verse 53. We'll read right off the screen. At last, the seven years of plenty came to an end. And then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph predicted, storm. There were crop failures in all the surrounding countries too. But in Egypt, aha, there was plenty of grain in the storehouse. Why? Because he created margin. This is something we all want. And many of us feel like, well, I can't. I, it's not possible. We can't afford it. We need more. This bucket's too demanding, and we spend everything we get. Here's a, friend, here's a secret that my friend Gene always says. He says, you know what? You don't have to make a lot of money to accumulate a lot of money. It's like, well, that doesn't sound right. How are you going to accumulate a lot of money if you don't have a lot of money? Well, guess what? It's, in, it's even in the Bible. Here's what Proverbs 13, 11 says. Whoever gathers money little by little 
makes it grow. We're talking here, and I want to just get real practical with the rest of our time here. We're talking about the miracle of compound interest. Compound interest is amazing. Albert Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. Okay? It's so amazing because it takes a small amount and allows it to grow and multiply in that. So, so just for example, just for example, let's say you were 25 years old. I know some of you actually are 25 or younger, so this is relevant for you. Let's say you're 25 years old, all right? And let's say you put aside $2.75 a day. Okay, what's that? Half a, half a latte? Half a cappuccino? Okay. And you did that starting at age 25 until you retired 65 or something like that. Okay? Do you realize just just putting that away, what you're talking about is $40,000. That's a lot of spare change in your bedroom. But if you would apply this with the miracle of compound interest and a basic just average return rate, what you'd see today, you know what? You wouldn't have $40,000. You'd have $1.1 million just on coffee money. So I hope you like that coffee. Because some of us are trading it for a million bucks. See what I'm saying? That's the miracle of compound interest. And there's all these great stories about people who've just taken a little tiny bit, little tiny bit, put it away, let it grow, and I'll tell you. Now, let's get super practical here. Some of you are like, I'd love to do that. I'd love to, to, to find, but I don't have any way to, I don't have any spare cash. I don't have any way to sort of invest anything. And I would just say to you, I'm going to push a little bit today. I'm going to make some of you mad. You can, you can get mad at me. It's okay. But I think some of it is we haven't made this a priority. We haven't believed that this is that important. And that's one of the reasons we haven't. And so I, how, about, how, about, how about if I just encourage you, don't stop tithing because you want God to bless the whole thing, but we can get something in this bucket. And you're saying how? I'm saying maybe if we skimped and saved in some other areas, you would have something to save. So here, now, I'm just going to give you some things, and some of them are going to be easy, some are going to be tough. You can gasp, you can throw stuff, you can, like, shake your fist, you can be as mad as you want to be, but I'm just telling you, these are some ideas, okay? You with me? You ready? Can I make you mad? Is it okay if I tick you off a little bit? Okay, well, let's just, let's just get started. So, for example, some of you could eat out less. <laughs> you, you could. I mean, you could take a lunch to work, and you'd save a boatload of money. You say, well, I, can't, I don't know if I can do that. You know what, you know what um, Dave Ramsey estimates? He says the average family in America, if they just ate out less, could save $200 a month. $200 a month. Wow. So maybe you start thinking about that. I don't know. Just maybe you could save. If you did that over 20 years, all right, and you did the basic, and you know, just add that up. What do you got? 150K. I just gave you a, a little nest egg just by eating out less. See, that, that's what I'm saying. Don't be mad. I'm just telling you. I know a lot of couples who share a meal when they go out. They give you these ungodly portions anyway. And frankly, let's be honest, some of us could use a few fewer calories anyway, right? So you're saving money and calories, right? Share a meal. Cuts the cost in two. When Carl and I go out, we almost always just order water. Why? It's better for us. And uh, we loved our soda, but we just, you know, we didn't need it. But Ben, I got to have my Diet Coke. It's like, no, you don't. Suck it up. I mean, we're talking about some important stuff here. You can do without your soda. And the little children are like, I want my soda. It's like, listen, sucker, you don't have to have your soda. Mom and dad's future depends on this. So give them water like our ancestors had. You know what? 
The average family spends $1,000 a year on pop soda. There, I just gave you your, your uh, refrigerator fund right there. Just You'll feel better too. Now, this next one's easy for me because I don't even drink coffee. But what if instead of buying Starbucks every day, you just made it at home? Come on, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I'm, I, I, I'm not stupid. I'm not telling you to cut out coffee. I mean, I'm not an idiot, but I, I will tell you, if you just did the McDonald's thing and went there for a buck for one of their things instead of the $47 you're paying for a cup of coffee at, at Starbucks or whatever, you know, the average family spends $128 a month just on coffee. I just saved you another 1500 bucks. I'm just saying how bad you want it. You can find money to save. Here's another way that Mountain as a Church does this. And, and I, knowing the sermon was coming, it, I, I did it as well so I could say to you that I did it. <laughs> shop your vendors. Shop every contract you have, everyone you have. Just every year, go back and, just, and ask for a better deal. I did it with my insurance company shortly after uh, they didn't come pick me up and fix my tire. <laughs> and I acted a little upset, threatened to hang up. And guess what? I just saved a couple hundred bucks on car insurance, and it wasn't even Geico. (laughs) Just ask them. I want to make sure I'm getting the best rate. Folks, there's low-hanging fruit out here. I'm telling you. Get on the phone. Talk to the cable TV. Shop your phone. uh, 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 Wi-Fi plan. All this stuff. The average family spends over $100 a month just on cable. Most of you don't need cable. You, You got it all on your phone now anyway. Maybe get rid of it. Maybe you don't even have ESPN for a while. Maybe you could do, yeah, maybe you just do something radical and live like very few seem to live now so that later during a financial storm, you will have the peace that very few seem to have. You want stability and financial security later like no one has? Maybe for a little while now you live like no one seems to be living. Pay me now or pay me later. Carla is a thrifty mama. She taught me that you don't need to buy stuff unless it's on sale. I was just kind of impulsive, like, what's right here? I don't want to come back. Let's buy it. She's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. This summer, I got some shoes. My kids told me that they were cool and that uh, if I wore them, I would almost be cool. And uh, so I got them, but they thought I was really cool when they figured out that I got them at Athletic Leftovers for 50% off. So now I am cool, you see? So whether it's clothes, electronics, or home goods, you don't need to buy it if it's on sale. So wait, be patient. Wait, 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 wait. It'll go on sale. And guess what? Half the time while you're waiting... The urge passes, and you don't buy it anyway, and then you save yourself a lot more money. Don't even get me started on credit cards. Friends, make it your goal to never pay one more dime of interest on your credit card bill. And I know that's way out of reach for some of us right now, but that should be your goal because they're, you they're, they're taking you to the cleaners. Remember that compound interest? Credit cards use it against you, right? This is so painful to watch. So many of us are in credit card debt. The average family has a lot of money on their credit card right now. We need to work toward getting out from underneath that. You know what? If you, if you went and bought something for $3,000 on your credit card and you paid it off with your average minimum monthly payments, do you know how long it would take you to pay that off? Do you know? Anybody want to guess? There you go. Only 37 years and seven months, but just keep making your monthly payment. And do you know how much you would have paid at the end of that time? Yeah, you don't want to know. 
$931, which I'm not great at math, but I think that's $7,931 more than you needed to pay. Ouch. Just to have it right now. In other words, you might as well take 8000 bucks and burn it up. That's what you're doing. By the same token, if you took that same $3,000 and you invested it in a basic IRA during the same amount of time, 37 years, you'd have over $125,000 in your pocket. Can we see the power of this and how important it really is? So don't let compound interest work against you. Some of you, the best thing you could do is go home and invite a bunch of friends over and get a cookie sheet out, preheat the oven to 450, put all your credit cards on the cookie sheet and suck it in there and watch those little suckers curl up and then sing and dance around the kitchen and just say, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last, because that's what some of you need to do. Maybe we need to just get radical and do something different than what everyone else is doing so that when the storm comes, you'll be different than what everyone else is doing. Some of you are driving shiny new cars. And it's really awesome that you're making payments on that. What if you just stopped making payments on it and drove a reliable car that got you from point A to point B and you used that car payment for this bucket? Oh, my goodness. You know, the average family is right. The average car payment is about $480 a month. Okay? You do that over a couple of decades and you've got a million and a half dollars. So a million and a half dollars of that shiny new car that you're driving around to impress people you don't even like. I mean, you choose. The key is you got to have a plan, you got to have a system, you got to automate stuff, you got to prioritize stuff, figure it out, get a plan in place. And while you're at it, can I just encourage you to get out of prison? Get out of prison. I'm talking about debt. Now, I have such an ache and a burden for so many who are in debt. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 that the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender or a slave. Some of us know what it's like to be in bondage to debt. It's just not fun. It just kind of shrinks your life down. I'd love to tithe. I'd love to honor God, but I don't feel like I can because I'm in debt. I, I, I want to get married, but I can't because I'm in debt. We'd like to have kids. We, we don't think it's right because we're in debt. We want to adopt a child. We can't because we're in debt. One of us would love to stay home, but we just we don't know how to do that because of the, the bills and the bondage. We want to take a vacation. We can't. God has given us an opportunity to bless someone, but I don't know how we can do that and take care of our bills because of the debt. So you say, I'm telling you, it's like being a slave. And so I just want to encourage you today. First thing you need to do, four quick things I would tell you if you're in debt. I just hope we set some people free and get out of prison today. Admit it. Admit you've got a problem that a lot of people do it, but it doesn't make it okay. And, and you just need to admit that you are a slave and then decide to do something about it. Because you never do anything significant in your life that doesn't start with a decision. You're not going to sort of hear a sermon and it's fixed. You've got to decide you're going to do something about this. And you can. You can do something about debt. I'm hoping to tick some of you off enough, maybe get you frustrated enough, poke you enough, that you're going to make a decision to change that will change the rest of your life because you're going to start getting a plan. It'll be hard for a little while, but eventually you'll be on the other side. You'll be free and out of jail on this deal. And I'm telling you, I want to start a rebellion so enough of you will say, I'm sick and tired of this, and I'm going to get free of debt. And friend, you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and you can get a plan, and you can follow this plan eventually and get out of debt. Third thing you might need to do to get there is get a plan and get some help. It's not just going to happen by wishing it so. You need a plan. We'll help you. We'll, there's, there's all kinds of seminars and financial peace university here. And the last thing I would say is trust God on this. Trust God. 
believe that he knows what he's talking about, that this plan makes sense, that you put him first and you come with something behind that and he'll honor the rest. Trust, trust, trust. I've told you about uh, Charles Blondin before. Many, many years ago, he was a famous tightrope walker. And his most famous exploit might have been when he strung a big hemp rope across Niagara Falls. And all kinds of people, thousands of them, came and gathered and watched him there as he enthralled them. He went across with a pole, and then he went blindfold, then he went backward, then he rode a bicycle across it. Every time he came back, they just cheered his name, Blondin, Blondin, we believe, we believe. They were just so enthralled by him. He had a wheelbarrow next. He says, does anybody believe I can take the wheelbarrow across? Well, they're like, well, they'd seen him do all the other stuff. And they were like, yes, we believe, we believe, we believe. Do it, do it, do it. And then he said, uh, now he he pointed to a guy right in the front. He said, do you believe? He said, I believe. You can do it, blind. And then he said, get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) And we say to the Lord, we believe you, God. We trust you. We trust you with our salvation. We trust you for eternal life. We believe you can forgive our sin. We believe you've prepared a place for us in glory. We believe you are the most powerful God who's able to do anything beyond what we would ask or imagine. God says, do you? Okay. Get in the wheelbarrow. And the way you do that is you honor God with your first fruits. Trust him to help you put something aside to save and follow biblical wisdom and then spend the rest in a way that honors him as well, that it may go well with you. Get in the wheelbarrow. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for this message today. I pray for those who are so excited and eager. They've been moved by your spirit to trust you in this area. They're going to go in 100%, and I just I want to ask for you to help them, encourage them. I want to pray for those who are angry about this. I want to pray for those who are upset or resistant or fearful that you will meet all of us where we are and just don't let us rest until we make a decision one way or the other about what we're going to do with you. Help us to keep it 100 with you, God.